0: broadcasting live from the shattered remains of the dark universe this is pop culture reference your one-stop reference for all things pop culture i'm one of your hosts garrett Strawther.
1: i'm one of your other hosts seamus Connolly. hi hello i'm here again ricardo what's going on gentlemen happy october seamus happy october to all it is the time of being flooded with skeletons and ghosts so i'm pretty happy
0: We're going to have a pretty spooky-oriented show for you today. We're going to kick off some of our Halloween-oriented content with our main segment. And we're even going to have a little Halloween pop culture reference segment for you today. So, shall we get right into news? Let's do
2: it. Let's jump into it. First up, we're going to be looking at a short little trailer that dropped uh, a couple uh, weeks ago for Lupin Third, the first, the official English dub.
0: Ricardo, why don't you give us your little uh, synopsis of what this movie's about? Because I'd never heard of it, and I don't think Seamus had either before you sent us the
1: link. Before we watched this trailer just a little bit ago, I was completely unaware.
2: I'll read straight off the, the YouTube description. Uh, the iconic gentleman thief, Lupin the Third returns in an action-packed, continent-spanning adventure, as Lupin the Third and his colorful underworld companions race to uncover the secrets of the mysterious Breesen Diary, before it falls into the hands of the dark cabal that will stop at nothing to resurrect the Third Reich.
1: Now that ending of that synopsis, uh, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming, really. The Third Reich is involved. I've never heard of the anime that this is based on either, so I mean, I'm pretty interested.
0: It sounds a little The Mummy. It sounds a little Uncharted. It sounds a little Kingsman. I'm in for it. It was a pretty action-packed trailer. It looked fun to me.
2: Yeah, it looks like just a big old grand adventure. And the animation style, it's got like CG mixed with the classic, more stylized squash and stretch. I just, I just like looking at it, dude.
1: I was saying this before, I had just finished the Final Fantasy VII remake and it gave me almost the, it's like super clean and nice animation, still very influenced by Japanese anime style, but God, I have to agree, it just visually looks appealing. It was only like a very, very short trailer that got us pretty interested.
2: Yeah, Lupin as like a, IP has been around since like maybe the 70s.
1: No kidding, I can't believe I've never heard of it.
2: Yeah, fun fact, uh, a Lupin movie was actually Hayao Miyazaki's directorial debut. The, what was it
1: called? The Castle
2: of uh, Caligristo.
1: Right on, well we'll keep an eye on this one for, when is it supposed to come out?
2: I don't believe there's a release date yet, but it came out in its original language uh, I think maybe last year, but this is like uh, the official English dub for all our English-speaking listeners.
0: So yeah, we'll definitely check that out. I'm excited uh, to learn more about Lupin and his colorful friends.
1: Coming up next on news, we have a whole docket of Disney news.
0: All of this was in with like the same 24 to 36 hour period. As many of you have probably heard, citing business losses from COVID-19, Disney announced that they will be letting go 28,000 of their employees across the world. And in the same breath, also announced that all Disney executives will be going back to getting paid their pre-COVID rates before salary cuts.
1: What a terrible pair of news. Like, the livelihoods that are created in these Disney parks, these actors and these people that dedicate so much of their lives to, like, a career at Disney are getting totally just cut loose, and then it's frustrating indeed.
2: Haven't their last several movies made over a billion dollars? It's not like they don't have the money.
0: The thing that has to be kept in mind when we're talking about Disney as a whole is we're talking about the Disney conglomerate. So we're not just talking about the stuff that we think about when we think about Disney. So your theme parks and your major studios, Marvel, Pixar, Disney. We're also talking about ESPN. Oh
1: yeah, National Geographic.
0: And even non- strictly entertainment based companies that disney just owns we're not only looking at like entertainment industry based job losses we're looking at disney as a whole has its hands in a whole lot of pies so this is spread out over a pretty big dominion but it's just very shocking to me that they would release these two pieces of news so close together i'm assuming some of the people being laid off are still people that have been kept on after the fox merger that are redundancies within the two companies. That is not an excuse, but it is something that I'm assuming is kind of being folded in with all of this COVID purging.
1: You know, at first I had actually read something that made me believe that it was a lot more Disney park and Disney entertainment related, but keeping that perspective of they do have all of these Fox holdovers and they do own so much of so much that It would kind of make sense that their downsizing would impact that amount of people. Then, again, as you're saying, the release of the news between the layoffs and the executives' pay raises is... It's hard to not think of that as directly correlated of, oh, let's lay off these people in these hard times so that our fat cats can continue to be the way that they are. It's a hard pill to swallow.
0: And then also that same day, they announced that they're going to be making a sequel to the quote-unquote live-action Lion King, helmed by Moonlight director Barry Jenkins. So that's another $200 million movie that they're starting production on when they're already sitting on all these other movies. I know that there's a lot going on behind the scenes of these mega corporations, but the fact that their PR team wasn't smart enough to spread out this news a little bit, Plus the fact that we already have Lion King 2 Simba's Pride. We can watch that on Disney+. Plus.
1: I was going to ask, is it a straight-up, not-quite-live-action remake of the actual Lion King 2?
0: No, Barry Jenkins has said on Twitter that it's going to be a completely new story. But I think that's going to be even more infuriating in some ways than the first movie. Because at least with the first Lion King, I can just go watch the original Lion King, and get all the emotions and all of the character beats out of that story that they aren't able to tell with these weird, stiff, hyper-realistic animated
1: puppets.
2: Yeah, man, I am not about this. If they're not doing Lion King One and a Half, I don't want to hear it.
1: See, I would even be more in for that. I remember loving Lion King One and a Half, but like you said, Garrett, the only thing people are really excited for in these remakes, as far as I've been seeing, is the huge draw from the originals that people grew up with if this is a lot like maybe how they diverted from Mulan's original cartoon version as they did with the new version now. Obviously, there were a ton of other factors involved with Mulan, but even content-wise, I heard a lot of people were disappointed, so...
0: Disney is not batting a thousand right now. I am very happy with them for delaying so much of their theatrical releases. But I think they're making a lot of missteps in the public eye right now. Uh,
2: they cast uh, Miss Marvel for her upcoming movie.
0: Her upcoming Disney Plus series, I think. Oh, sorry. It's going to be a newcomer, 18-year-old Canadian actress, Amon Valani. I don't know where they found her. I'm assuming it was some kind of open casting call. But just like a lot of this other Disney Plus Marvel news, I'm excited to see what they do with it.
1: Yeah, they're going into some very uncharted territories for me in terms of you know I would say I'm a pretty decent Marvel fan but you know a lot of the stuff that they're casting and that I'm getting excited for is stuff that I have like less than base knowledge for so I'm excited to have fun with these uh, characters
0: I know Miss Marvel is somehow related to Captain Marvel I was gonna ask I know she's Middle Eastern mm-hmm. and I know she's got those big hands that look really stupid and I don't know how they're gonna <laughs> translate to live action.
1: Wait, she's got big she, hands? She, I
0: think she's got yeah. like Mr. Fantastic stretchy powers, but she makes her hands so oh, big.
1: That's dope. I'm into it. I
0: think she's in the, she's in the new Avengers game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the one yeah. That's yes, she, she not is. Good. The
1: one that's awful, yeah.
0: <laughs> but we also have other way more surprising Marvel casting news.
1: I cannot even believe it. That
0: <laughs> Jamie Foxx. Widely known exclusively for his role as Electro in The Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man 2, is returning as Electro for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Tom Holland Spider-Man 3.
1: We're in the Spider-Verse, aren't we, boys? We're just in the middle of nonsense. Sam Raimi directed bringing in the Raimi-verse, we're bringing in the Andrew Garfield-verse, all wrapping it up into a movie that could pertain further into multiverse stuff than we are even anticipating. It's gonna be the weirdest. I'm very excited.
0: Seamus, I do think it is a real possibility that Multiverse of Madness could be tying into this decision, but I also think that that would mean that Marvel is relying on people having seen amazing spider-man 2
1: have you guys not seen the amazing spider-man 2
0: i have not seen the amazing spider-man 2 i'm sorry to say i'm also assuming that if it isn't a multiverse thing i'm assuming it's gonna be like comics electro not
1: the weird blue i hope so dude
2: jamie fox straight up came out and confirmed he said yeah hey, i'm not gonna be blue this time around
1: yes thank god so
0: then not a multiverse thing which is both good and bad i'm assuming we'll get some kind of tommy mcguire thing in multiverse of madness which we've talked about before
1: we better man i'll lose myself
2: it's a whole different thing why would you bring him back unless you're going to do the whole multiverse thing you could get anybody to do this role
0: they also brought back, not that J.K. Simmons isn't perfect casting because he is, but they brought back J.K. Simmons to be J. Jonah Jameson. So it seems like with the Spider-Man stuff, maybe Sony is pushing them to bring back people that were in the previous Sony Spider-Man stuff. And I remember a few months ago when we broke down the Morbius trailer, we talked about how behind Morbius, there's a mural where it's Spider-Man and it's says murderer written over it, but it's not the... Tom Holland Spider-Man. It's the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man.
1: Oh my, I didn't even realize that was the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in that trailer. So,
0: even though it's supposed to be set in like the MCU adjacent Sony-verse, which is maybe MCU, because, you know, you, you see Vulture in that trailer.
1: Yeah, Sony can corner the, you know, do the PlayStation stuff. You're doing well enough there. It's so tiring to have to keep track of what is and isn't, and what is halfway in what universe? It's 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 the worst.
2: Where's Paul Giamatti? We'll see. Bring him back.
1: I was just about to ask. Paul Giamatti is the Rhino for 45 seconds in that movie, and he's great.
0: For somebody who hasn't seen The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I of course know about the infamous Rhino cliffhanger.
1: <laughs> oh, it's like the Rocky 3 freeze frame ending, but stupid. It's the worst.
0: <laughs> because the Rocky 3 freeze frame ending isn't stupid, Seamus.
1: You better watch your mouth, Strother. <laughs>
0: Should we talk about, uh, my
1: wife? My wife. Oh, bad (laughs) Borat impressions are back on the menu, boys. We're doing it for the next ten years.
2: It always comes back around.
1: I never saw the original Borat.
0: Neither have I, Seamus.
1: I only know it as a cultural (laughs)
2: touchstone. So none of us have seen Borat.
1: (laughs) Wow, really? Did you guys watch the trailer for the new one? Yeah. It, I mean, looks it looks good. so good. It looks like, you know, how Eric Andre did his own movie of Man on the Street mm-hmm. stuff? It's like that of this specifically political angle, which is just the best.
0: It's a time that makes a lot of sense to bring Borat back.
1: God. Is
2: this going to work, though? Because part of the whole thing with Borat is that they don't know it's Sasha Baron Cohen. But now everybody knows my wife, so is that going <laughs> to...
1: In the trailer, there are a very wide range of disguises that are being used. Yes. So I think it's going to be a lot more disguises than just the Borat.
0: It's probably going to be a little bit more like that Showtime show that he had.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't even know he had a show.
0: He was able to disguise himself well enough that he got oh, to talk to, like, yes. real political people. I think he. Could, it was it like, could been, like We Lynch Are Graham. America or something. Yeah, something like that.
1: Very prominent politicians acting honestly terrible it's uh
0: so I'll be interested it's dropping uh october 23rd on amazon prime i'm
2: gonna have myself a gotta, double feature gotta, of the original and this new one
1: i was gonna say we gotta catch up before we get in there get the lore of this this weird character who is his yeah, we'll wife i don't know our last
0: bit of news for today is i think something that we all saw coming and even talked about on the show the last couple weeks
1: i think you straight up made a joke garrett
0: It is official. James Bond 007 No Time to Die has been officially delayed. It's no longer coming out in November. It will be coming out April 2nd, 2021, almost a full year after it was originally supposed to come out.
1: I want to see this movie. I'd rather see it in a theater. I'd rather see it in a healthy theater. Delay it. It'll give us time to, you know, recap. I've never done the whole Bond gauntlet from beginning to end but you know maybe this is a sign giving us extra time to go do the whole thing.
0: So that means the next major theatrical release as planned is Death on the Nile on December 18th. So basically for the rest of 2020 there is nothing coming out in theaters. Wow
1: this is a weird time to be a movie podcast huh boys? (laughs) As we always say when we hear about these delays pretty much weekly, is that we're generally, you know, it's a positive thing. We don't want people getting sick. We would rather see movies in the way we want to see them. Hopefully, this giant slate of movies getting pushed won't get pushed further. These studios are just going to, like, crash into themselves with release dates at a certain point, so they're going to have to do something.
0: And we'll see what happens with movie theaters. We'll keep you guys updated on that because... Are major chains like AMC and Regal and Cinemark going to stay open if there's no new movies coming out? Is it worth it? Because I understand they don't make a lot of money off of showing old movies. We'll have to keep updated. So I think we're actually going to skip pop culture catch up this week we've pretty much exhausted the list of big pop cultural touchstones that happened while we were off the air that i can think of if there's anything that happened during our hiatus that you guys missed and really wanted us to touch on go ahead and tweet us at pcr underscore podcast or email the podcast at pop culture reference pod at gmail.com let us know if there's something you want to talk about we'll talk about it for next week's pop culture catch up Let's go ahead and jump into our main segment, Ricardo.
2: Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? Don't let him haunt you.
0: Hello?
1: I'm scared. You don't have to be scared of him anymore.
2: He was a sociopath completely in control of everything. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. The Invisible Man.
1: Garrett, actually, I think it was last week, this was your Save the wreck Center.
0: It was. With it being on HBO, and we needed a Halloween-themed film to kick off October, I thought, what better than to pick a new release that I knew you guys hadn't seen and I wanted to chat with you guys about.
1: Man, what a great pick, Garrett. That's, I mean, right off the bat, my feelings about this movie are very positive.
2: Same here, man. I don't know. I really enjoyed this.
1: (laughs) I made jokes, I think, about Abbott and Costello and uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen when you brought up The Invisible Man, but... Holy crap! I had no—I really didn't know what I was getting into. You like—you buried the lead on what this movie was gonna be a l- in a lot of ways, and I'm very glad
2: you did.
0: Ricardo, you have any more detailed thoughts? I'm very curious. I'm so excited to hear you guys talk about. I
2: it. really like this new spin they put on like this really old story. Like it makes it feel so fresh, and I was really engaged with the suspense they were doing. I love their use of the camera and the use of oh negative my God, space yes. to make you feel like he's always there. Like, you always have that sense that he's watching.
1: It's a great, great way to instill those feelings when they do those slow, sweeping shots of just, like, empty rooms and you're, like... Trying to look at every little detail to see if... Oh, is that curtain moving a little bit? Is this small reflection changing at all? It had me on the edge of my seat. As as cliche as that is, it was just really good.
0: And it's crazy to think about that that's all in the directing and the performances. Because, you know, you guys will appreciate this also as people that have made films. It's a very simple way to execute that. There's some big effects in this movie that we'll get into a little bit later, but for the most part, the tension from this comes from just really good, believable performances, mostly from Elizabeth Moss, and very well-timed, intentional pacing from everybody behind the scenes. It's a real achievement.
2: Yeah, I think that's partly due to the whole uh, Blumhouse method of not giving the people any money. (laughs) Yeah. You have, like, the bare minimum, make it work.
0: It drives ingenuity, that's for sure, and better horror movies often are the ones with the lower budgets.
1: Yeah, and you can see that in a lot of classic horror work usually it's not literally an invisible entity but it's such that it might as well be it's the suspense of not seeing not knowing it's like the Jaws method there is a good amount of like POV shots that we got to see like from behind corners a lot of you know really subtle very great camera work that just it made me think about like Black Christmas Jaws a lot of those classics that are specifically made around the not knowing stuff
0: it made me think also about the way some hallways are shot there's a little bit of that shining element where you just keep going around corners
1: and not knowing what you're gonna see i very much felt that watching it last night
2: for anyone unfamiliar Garrett, you want to give us like a very quick like kind of synopsis of this new version of the invisible man
0: yeah so basically the invisible man is a very new pretty much original Interpretation of the story where the main character is a woman named Cecilia who is trapped in a controlling, seemingly emotionally abusive relationship that she is able to escape from, only to realize slowly that he has found some way to become invisible to continue being in her life. And so, I think that's all I really want to say without giving too much away because there are so many twists and turns. Throughout the film that I don't want to spoil the experience of watching this film for anybody who hasn't seen it.
1: Yeah, that is a pretty great synopsis for sure. It's been a very, very long time since I've read the original Invisible Man. But from what I remember, it's like the biggest departure from what that character is supposed to be, right?
0: I mean, there is some manipulative elements to the original character. But he's still more of a positive character throughout that story as opposed to this he is he is a very villain. clearly the yeah. antagonist, yeah. I also really enjoyed the idea of if there was this invisible man Yes, the the gaslighting aspect of who would believe you and how would you actually deal with knowing that somebody could be around you all the time and the more psychological elements that this film brings to that story. It makes it feel really fresh and it makes it feel really relevant.
2: Yeah, that's what really twisted up my stomach while I was watching, just watching the the Invisible Man just kind of doing like subtle things to kind of just turn everyone in her life against her.
1: And that is a huge kind of subplot of everything that happens in this movie, is that it is almost as much about the relationship and the abuse that she experienced. They're using a lot of this Invisible Man elements to illustrate a lot of what these kinds of relationships can do it is like a disconnect them from friends disconnect them from family you know so deceit in a lot of personal relationships that it's hard to explain away that oh it was this other person it wasn't me being myself
0: yeah it's like you said Seamus all the best horror films are about something bigger than just a supernatural threat And this is a very well-told, very well-acted, interesting take on real abusive and manipulative relationships. And I've read about how a lot of people that have gone through these kind of relationships found it really difficult to watch this movie because of how accurately and carefully it portrays that kind of twisted relationship.
2: You guys want to talk about some spoilers?
0: Final thoughts, it's just a really spectacular film. Really well made, it's really well acted, it's really suspenseful. My parents, who do not like horror or thriller movies, both really, really, really enjoyed it. So I think even if you're a little bit hesitant to jump into something that's a little bit more intense, it's worth it for just how good it is.
1: I agree entirely. If you have HBO and you haven't seen it, I would entirely recommend it to no end. It is one of the better horror slash thriller, more intense films that I've seen that have come out recently. It's just, like you said, the performances, fantastic. The effects that go with so many of the interesting ways they want to play with invisibility is fantastic. It's just, I couldn't recommend it more as our first spooky October
2: pick of Yeah, definitely worth the watch. It's October. You know, get into that spooky mood.
0: Alright, let's talk some spoilers, guys. This is the official spoiler warning.
2: And I want to
1: emphasize, like you said, Garrett, this is a very important film to go along the ride with. It's not worth it to dip your toe in, learn all the details that are going to kind of screw with the twists and turns that you were referencing, because,
2: oh boy, what a lot of twists and turns. You want to talk about the the suit? I really like the design of the suit.
1: Yes! It's freaky. It is, that is for sure. Absolutely freaky, and just at its core... You know, I'm going to struggle to remember again. The original Invisible Man is like a potion? It's like a... Yeah, yeah. What yeah, is like it that turns him alchemy. invisible? It's like It's not science. Like, it's pseudoscience. It's so much crazier to see this as like a sci-fi concept of... Uh, what do yeah, they call version, it? this version,
2: the Invisible Man is Elon Musk, basically. Yeah, he's a
1: crazy yeah. optical camouflage inventor is how they set him up.
0: I'm sorry, Seamus. He is a world leader in the field of optics.
2: <laughs> Excuse me. You should know that because they say it again and again.
0: <laughs> she says that in the scene where they
1: go to the lawyer, his brother, the lawyer's lawyer, right? office. Yeah.
2: I will and, say at that scene, that... I did kind of laugh out loud just because when she's like, and he turned himself invisible. There's just a complete straight face like, come, you got to know how that sounds coming out of your mouth.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, there definitely is some comedy in this movie.
2: Yes, the the way
1: that they sprinkled in these great comedic moments broke this tension that, like we were referencing before, it is a tense film just based on the not-knowingness of so much of it. And there's a couple moments, like, in the asylum escape, there's, weirdly enough, a couple... Uh, funny moments by the Invisible Man. There's another really goofy part that I'm struggling to remember now that I laughed out loud at.
0: Well, the friend and the daughter that she's staying with are both funny. Yeah,
2: totally. I loved them. I thought they were... I just enjoyed their dynamic. There was a a little point that bothered me uh, when the Invisible Man punches a little girl in the face.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, he clocks that girl. (laughs) Like, the way that he's doing this, like, strategy of, like, subtle this... I'm going to write an email from her account to the sister, or I'm going to, you know, make her look crazy on the security camera. He just goes for it. He just knuckle sandwiches this girl in the mouth.
0: It's so shocking because of that slow burn. Like you said, it's such little things that he's doing that when he gets physical with another person it's really shocking and it's because he's been sowing these seeds to make them believe that she's possibly unhinged enough to actually harm this girl who's trying to help her
2: yeah i have a little bit of a nitpick for that bit in that they were like two feet apart from each other and she didn't move
0: I mean, Ricardo, if you were in that situation, would you find it easier to believe, oh, there's an invisible guy punching me, or I just didn't see her fist coming?
1: Yeah,
2: my, that my does girlfriend... that more logical sense. But also, that means that Elizabeth Moss is, like, really fast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you get sucker punched
1: in the face, and you're pretty disoriented for a little bit. Like, especially... Like poor
0: Rick Moranis. Oh,
1: Rick Moranis! That, that video made broke me so my sad. my man. <laughs> Oh,
0: God. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to derail him. No, 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 that was
1: worth bringing up. God bless you, Rick Moranis. Please get better. If we're going to talk about Invisible Man violence out of nowhere... Oh, the... The, the restaurant?
0: The, you mean the most <laughs> shocking scene in this movie? I'm, like,
1: a jaw on the floor. This... Ugh. It was so... At dinner, finally, Elizabeth Moss is getting through to her sister about the technology behind this insane Which, person.
2: A real quick tangent. I did not care for her sister, man, especially in that scene where she's just a complete ass to this waiter for no reason. Yeah,
1: the, that's what was funny. The waiter. I loved the waiter bit. Yes, that was hilarious. The waiter was really
0: funny. That's the thing. The waiter is the key to that scene because you're in this public place. It's a little funny. You are
1: totally disarmed in that moment. Yes. Well, you think you're safe, but no one is safe from the invisible man. He's invisible. He just goes up. It's like a shot, reverse shot conversation with Elizabeth Moss and her sister. And it goes, sister, Elizabeth Moss, back to sister, back to Elizabeth Moss. And then it's a floating butcher knife over her shoulder and then a quick swipe across the sister's throat. For a very public murder. Then what I can only assume is him placing and holding the knife in her fist. She might have been in shock and she was just holding it on her own. But man, what a way to look guilty as hell, huh?
0: And again, it's using simple filmmaking language to give the audience a shock. You were talking about the simplicity of that shot, reverse shot. And the brilliance of that moment is in the second where you see the knife, but before you fully... Make it through.
2: Yes, exactly. What That's that what it means. is.
0: And then your
1: stomach drops. Yeah, it's about as then fast then as they were cutting back and forth through each other, anyway. So you're like completely in this rhythm of this scene, yeah. and then it's and just the knife is like in your
2: periphery. You. So you're like, "Hold oh, is that? Is that a knife?" And then just bam! So insane. Ugh so insane i was alone in my room and i like (laughs) jumped yeah
1: dude i got a little loud at like one in the morning watching this movie my parents and
0: i watched it i said to my mom i was like this is probably gonna be a dark movie can you reach behind you and turn off the light and my dad like snuggled up with his blanket (laughs) up under his chin
1: was your dad okay after that it gets only crazier from there
0: my dad was fine worried I, he gives it a, a rousing endorsement good good so even my dad who is probably the person that likes horror movies the least out of anyone i've ever met that's a good endorsement
1: movie. then i wasn't sure if i was going to recommend this to my folks because my dad isn't the most into horrific imagery and the like but if your dad is given it that endorsement maybe i should send it on my parents way
0: This movie was definitely more
1: violent than I expected it to be in
0: terms of, like, people getting their throats slid There's a lot of that
2: going on in this movie.
1: And I touched on it before, the Sarah Connor Terminator 2 asylum escape that happens Mm -hmm. after she is almost naturally accused of murdering her sister in public.
0: Of course, well, like, the brilliance yeah. of it is that there's no escape. Like, she did not do anything wrong. She could not have gotten out of
1: that situation. Exactly, it's messed up. But in terms of carnage, when the Invisible Man is, like, storming the asylum, just executing guards that cannot see him, who are confused and dead, one after another after another, it's crazy. It's so insane. Dude, when the,
2: when he makes that guy shoot himself in the kneecap...
1: Yeah, dude. Oh Oh my God. Is that the guy he screws with and pretends to shoot and then shoots anyway? No, that's, that's another guy,
0: but that's another piece of great filmmaking where you're tense because you're like, oh, I don't want him to shoot this guy in the head. And you're also seeing the confusion of the guard and the fear of the guard, but you're also seeing how manipulative and terrible this character is that he's not just doing this because he wants to get to Elizabeth Moss he's enjoying the pain that he's causing all of these people that he doesn't even know
1: I totally agree with what you're saying and I think we actually don't get a ton of character obviously he's the invisible man a lot of what he's doing is silent and not seen but we get this attitude of this abuser that we're supposed to be like fearful of for the whole movie and we get to see the joy of his I I took that scene as like he loves the power that he's feeling having complete control over the situation being invisible, which is like you know, textbook abuse. Yeah, like they Uh, said in the movie he's
2: a narcissist, he's a sociopath
1: Yeah, and his his glee of, because he like chuckles in that moment, he like pretends to shoot the guy he strolls off, that is one of the only distinct parts where he is in the suit doing what he's doing and we get to have his personality uh, shine a little bit through the invisible suit when did you
0: guys figure out that the brother was in on it?
1: The brother was a scumbag from the beginning. I wanted, like, he did his whole speech about, like, I hated him too, but I sensed something behind that. Because I didn't quite trust him entirely, but I didn't know he was, like, fully in on what was happening, you know?
0: It's such a good reveal that he is in the suit because they only give you any clue that there was ever two people in the scene immediately before you find out. Because when he is in the daughter's bedroom and gets maced... Right, right. He falls to the ground, she runs out the door, and then there's somebody else in the hallway that stops her.
1: Oh, dude. That has just rocked me. That's crazy.
0: And so they just give you a little bit, a a little Just enough in a moment of chaos to
1: just, just sail over your head like it wasn't even supposed to be when that happened I was just like oh he, he got up and he ran to the hall and like grabbed her from behind or something but it makes so much more sense that that is the final clue because yeah I guess that is the part where it finally all comes to a head mostly
0: and then we of course get the great closing scene where she comes to the actual boyfriend's house to stage his suicide yeah
1: man i mean there's kind of a little thing about like the friend who she's been staying with the father of the girl who got punched he's been a cop involved in this stuff going on from the beginning and he's like gonna help her stage a sting and like get the evidence they need that he was actually the one but we get a pretty cold-blooded you accused me all along you owe me a freebie of letting me murder this man and being my backup Because, you know, she packs away her own invisible suit from this man's lab. And I got, obviously, any kind of sequel or connected dark universe would be an absolute garbage fire. But thinking about a more virtuous or uh, moralistic invisible entity that wasn't quite a serial killing abusive boyfriend is interesting to me.
0: I'd watch a sequel to this movie. I don't want a dark universe out of this movie. But I think a sequel to this movie sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, a little a little flip side reverse to what the Invisible Man was representing as, like, a total monster in this movie.
0: My one gripe with this movie is that at the very beginning when she's sneaking out of the house, which itself is just so... Oh, pes- totally. And well done. When she takes off Zeus the dog's electric collar, and we, like, focus on the electric collar, and she puts it on the ground, I was really hoping... That later in the movie we were going to be at the house again and she was going to use the electric collar to short out the That's suit. That's
1: what I was thinking too. It was going to be like a way to track him or like like you said zap the suit if he was making any kind of noise or I don't know. I they They genuinely focused on it at the beginning and kind of at the ending it was also in the bag with the suit. As she's walking out of the house, I don't know, maybe it was more visual metaphor for, like, the controlling nature of this dude, but...
0: I'm assuming that's what it is.
1: They made it seem like it I was, was going to come back bigger. I that was a
0: setup, but I love the fact that she, like, really, she goes back for Zeus. Like, she leaves with him at the end. Totally.
1: She, she has a couple <laughs> things she needs to do there, but I am very glad to see that the dog made it out in the end.
0: It works. It's so... Good And even though it leaves room for a sequel, it doesn't cut out plot points so that it can leave room for a sequel. It It is a complete, self-contained, really well-told story that also has room for more to happen.
1: Fantastic film. I couldn't recommend it more to anybody that asks.
0: Well, I'm really glad you guys liked it, and I'm glad we got.
1: Yeah, to Yeah, thank about you, it. Garrett. If if it <laughs> wasn't for you bringing this one to the table, this would have sailed right by me, you know. And I'm I'm glad that I got to to give it a shot. All right, should we move on, boys? Let's do it.
0: Seamus, Ricardo, where's Riley?
2: I'm gonna assume on a cross-country road trip to find a long-lost relative in Arizona.
1: I was gonna say. Standing right behind you, Garrett, but I really can't tell. (laughs) Riley is using his job as a sandwich maker to cover up the fact that he is an optical camouflage specialist or whatever they called it in the movie. He is a world
0: leader in the field of optics, (laughs) Seamus.
1: I think Riley is a world leader in the field of optics.
0: If being a world leader in the field of optics gets you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that would make sense because Riley DeLuca is in Cleveland, Oh, Ohio. damn! I'm actually
1: kind of jealous. I love Cleveland.
2: Cleveland, what up? Represent. I was, I was, I was kind of right,
1: Ricardo. You were in the wrong direction, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> yeah, he counts. I'll give him points. See, so yeah, he's visiting his friend Tyler.
2: Tyler, please listen to the podcast. Tyler, Promote what us. are
1: your thoughts on Elizabeth Moss? We, we never ask, where's Tyler, you know? I'm getting sick of this, where's Riley?
2: <laughs> we always ask, where's Riley? Never how's Riley.
0: <laughs> now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode. And we're going to be tying it right in with our main segment by talking about the history of universal monster films. Back in the infancy of the studio system, the different studios kind of had different specialties that they focused on in the 30s and 40s. Warner Brothers made a lot of gangster films. RKO made these big sweeping melodramas and romances. And Universal was largely known for making monster and horror films. So you had these titans of acting, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., Bela Lugosi... I think most people are familiar, at least through the cultural zeitgeist, with things like Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Original Mummy, not, you know, The Brendan Fraser Mummy, which in turn is a Universal movie, The Brendan Fraser Mummy. But Universal really made a name making these interconnected monster movies, and they did eventually tie in with Abbott and Costello, as Ricardo and Chavis have (laughs) repeatedly alluded to. Fast forward, you all probably remember the Tom Cruise mummy movie came out and they've also attempted to do this with other films universal is very interested in the current heyday of cinematic universes in bringing back what they call the dark universe so all of these old monster movies that used to be interconnected that were big hits for them in the 30s 40s and 50s they now are really trying to revive and turn into a viable Contemporary cinematic universe, which did not work for Dracula Untold, (laughs) did not work for the Tom Cruise Mummy.
2: There have been so many like false starts to the Dark Universe. They've always like retroactively. No, no, we we start here, guys. Check, we we have it all planned out.
0: Don't forget. (laughs) And so then they gave us the Invisible Man, which is by far the best Universal Monster movie to come out in decades. And. It finally isn't trying to kickstart a dark universe. Though, I would watch more stuff like this. Definitely. If
1: it was on the caliber of the Invisible Man originally, this dark universe maybe would have gone differently. But for those of you who did, for some reason, see the Tom Cruise mummy that came out just a few years ago, you might understand why this universe kind of got taken away.
2: They were so ahead of themselves. They had a whole cast list of like big-name A-listers, like Johnny Depp, Javier Bardem, and just the whole thing imploded. Johnny
0: Depp was supposed to be the... Oh, universe. yeah, I do actually remember that. Yeah, he that. was. Well, that a very different context now based on what we've since learned about Johnny Depp and what we've since learned about the new take on The Invisible oh, Man. Oh, jeez,
1: Louise.
0: Universal has a very rich history of monster films. If you're interested in checking out some of those older Universal horror films, Most of them are on Peacock, and a lot of them are even free, on the free tier of Peacock. So I highly recommend them. They're a good time.
1: Yeah, they're obviously very iconic, the old Universal. It's like literally every i guess you could call it every pop culture reference that has gone back and drawn from frankenstein dracula the mummy a lot of that comes from those 40s versions of these creatures that were made by universal very much the like big green blockhead frankenstein not only do these influence every monster film since they're in and of themselves very interesting and entertaining to watch
0: that's a rich enough history that it wouldn't surprise me if we dipped back into these for future pop culture references when talking about something more specific because there is so much to unpack yeah with geez
1: and you know in 10 years when universal tries to do the dark universe again we'll just be right back where we started
2: what would you have done if at the end of the invisible man russell crowe showed up like for no reason <laughs> Their Nick Fury for their Dark Universe was supposed to be Russell Crowe's Jekyll and Hyde. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. This dumb organization.
0: (laughs) Ricardo, I don't think you understand. They had vampire teeth in a jar. How did you not get excited about that? Oh,
2: jeez. Teeth in a jar and a severed hand. Also in a jar.
1: Get out of here, Universal. I think you mean the Jark Universe? I hope all of this, I hope this episode gets cut. You, you guys Let's want to save, save the rec, rec center? center?
2: Let's do it.
1: In watching The Invisible Man last night, I realized that the actor who plays Adrian, who is the abusive boyfriend and titular invisible man, is actually played by Oliver Jackson Cohen, who is a very good young actor, and I recognized him from a different Halloween favorite of mine. A couple years ago, Netflix dropped The Haunting of Hill House, which... He plays one of the prominent characters in this horror story based on a short book. The classic family moves into a very large and old house and, you know, something just ain't right about it. And for what it was, I didn't realize how absolutely horrifying it would be as a miniseries. And just seeing his performance last night in The Invisible Man and remembering his great performance in The Haunting of Hill House got me right back in the mood for it. Especially considering that the same team are coming back in a few weeks for The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is going to be the anthology sequel to the first season. So, I really highly recommend The Haunting of Hill House. Absolutely terrifying. Really good writing. You know, perfect for the time that it is right now. Perfect for October. What you got, Ricardo?
2: Uh, on the flip side of that, I'm going to recommend something a little lighter. We very briefly mentioned uh, Eric Andre while we were talking, and that reminded me of his uh, his Bad Trip movie, which I saw like a couple months ago, and it is some of the hardest I have laughed at a movie in a long time. And if if you're a fan of Eric Andre and like, his show or his stand-up or whatever, th- this is a movie for you. You're going to love it. It's a... Uh, very similar to, like, that that Jackass movie that came out a few years ago, Bad Grandpa, in that it is, like, a prank kind of movie, but there is, like, a storyline that ties the whole thing together, where him and, a uh, little Rail Howard go on, like, this, uh, cross-country road trip so Eric Andre can go confess his feelings to some woman, but... None of that's important. It's just like a framing <laughs> device. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish is also really funny as like this ex-con who escapes from prison who's trying to track them down because she's a uh, little Rel Howard's sister and they stole her car and had to <laughs> do this road trip.
1: <laughs> that sounds amazing. Hilarious.
2: It's essentially like the, the on the street bits from the Eric Andre show if they were their own movie. And I loved it so much. My stomach hurt from laughing. Definitely got to check it out.
0: All right. And I'm going to recommend, since it is... October, this is something that's a little seasonally appropriate, but not too scary. The 1999 Brendan Fraser classic, The Mummy. Oh my god, yeah, dude. (laughs) One of my favorite films from when I was a kid. I still love it. I know the other two-thirds of this podcast also adore it. It's just a really fun, swashbuckling adventure. You know, it's a classic universal horror film meets Indiana Jones.
1: A fantastic film Late 90s perfect era of Brendan Fraser as an action hero. I actually just watched this uh, a couple weeks ago with my family again. It never gets old.
0: I think that about wraps us up for this episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, go ahead and tweet us at pcr underscore podcast or email us at popculturereferencepod at com. We also have a YouTube channel that we're going to just keep on plugging In addition to our full-length podcast episodes, pretty soon we're going to be starting to do all kinds of new content that will be exclusively on YouTube, so make sure you're subscribed to us to get all of that sweet, sweet pop culture reference content.
2: That is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening.